Hey, good morning. Saturday morning. 8.33 in the morning. You're listening to Buddy's Owners. Arizona Schnoodle Walks. It's Arizona. What a beautiful state. It says it's 56 degrees. Wow. It's going up to 69 today. High humidity. And uh, we just had like three days of kind of rainyish weather. It didn't like rain nonstop, but it rained occasionally. And things are kind of wet, but not really wet, not super wet. And it's the desert. And it's like November 23rd, Thanksgiving week. And uh, I went to the mim last night for the first time the musical instrument museum in north scottsdale and uh i did a this is this was a result of social media the the ubiquitous (laughs) social media so somebody posted like hey i'm going to an event and I'm like, well, I like those people. And I haven't seen them in a while. We've been trying to get together, so maybe I'll just join them. And it's music. My wife likes music. And I didn't even do I was like, you know what? I'm not going to research the band. I've never heard of them. By the way, to, to end all suspense, the name of the band is called Over the Rhine. Yeah, yeah. Never heard of them. Over the Rhine. Over the Rhine. Turns out, with my German background, the Rhine River is a famous, famous river in Germany. Which actually starts, I believe, down in near the Bowden, say, well, Lake Constance, and uh, which is near the Austrian Swiss you know, confluence with Germany. And that river starts there. And contrary to American concepts where we, most of our rivers flow from the north, like the Mississippi, down to New Orleans. Most rivers here flow flow north to south. In Germany, a lot of the rivers flow from south to north because the Alps are at a higher elevation. And that Rhine River goes through Dusseldorf and it is a hustling river. And it's like amazing to me. I've seen the beginning of the Rhine River. And then several hundred miles later up in Dusseldorf, it is, it's a roaring river, man. It's like, how did that happen? There's, I mean, there must be water added along the way from other places, but... Over the Rhine. Well, in a Germanic way, what's what is that about? What is it? Does that have any meaning? I don't think so. <laughs> but turns out that there's a little village or town near Cincinnati, Ohio, called Over the Rhine. So some German settlers came to Cincinnati area back in the 1800s. And they must have, like, well, they certainly brought their culture with them. And they probably named a lot of things in the area after something to do with Germany. So maybe it's over the Ohio River is somewhat similar to the Rhine. It might be a big, massive river. And isn't that interesting if we look back on time that rivers were so significant in the last 50 to 100 years are probably less significant to us kind of like trains like i think that came up in conversation yesterday that uh amazing how many people are into trains and model training but over the rhine back to the music Musical Instrument Museum, which gets rave reviews. So if you come to visit, 
Arizona, that is a um, destination worth seeing, which I need to go back to myself because it wasn't open. It's not open at night. But they have a uh, concert venue for probably like three to 500 people can go in there. And they sold out over the Rhine was sold out. And for what, 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 what are sort of the two things we got to talk about? So what? So what? So I'm not here to like praise and tell you over the Rhine is the most awesome musical group ever. But what did I observe? Like they're a, a, a nice couple, husband and wife, singers, songwriters, pleasant music. It didn't like move my soul like Mindy Abair, like jazz saxophone type of a thing. But it was pleasant. And why did I go? It's like, I've, I'm finally, I've, I've been moved forward on the curve of being kinder and considerate of others because I knew these people loved them and they turns out they've seen them 20 to 30 times over the last 30 years. So they really love these people, which is great. And what I noticed is they've made it, they're a niche market. So if you're an entrepreneur, and, and I'm thinking musicians like this are basically entrepreneurs. And think about the niche. I mean, I, it's taken me a while to get convinced of this. And, you know, when we listen to people, when we listen to, you know, pro- professional podcasts like this. <laughs> and this is the point where I shout out, hey, bud, how you doing? Dog, I'm walking my dog. So I have a really good audience in the studio. <laughs> But I do have the best studio of all. I think I don't know how many podcasters are doing outdoor podcasts yet or doing the walking the dog podcast. And I even saw someone walking a cat for the first time last week. Can you believe that? A cat on a leash. I think the cat owners have are envious of dog owners because we get to walk our dogs and we're out in public. We're proud of our dogs. And our dogs, for the most part, enjoy the walks. And uh, maybe cats are not known for being compliant, right? But anyway, there's a diversion. How'd I get to that? Oh, as my shout out for the outdoor podcast, the professional podcast. And I lost all sense of professional podcasting there but the uh the so what is niche markets niche niche so i'm and spiritual growth that's underlying theme transparency of your podcast host who basically is like saying what what do i care i'm walking my dog and i can podcast so i will pretty freaky right and uh, it's helping me lose some of my inhibitions or limiting beliefs. And I don't know if you can share in that or recognize it, but uh, I guess I was thinking along the lines, my brain was going along the lines of, uh, you know, if you're listening to a podcast or watch a video, it's like, it's like just doing a video or a podcast gives this aura of authority, right? So you've decided to, listen to this podcast and you're like, what, why am I listening to this? You know? So I don't know why you're listening to it, but you're here. So let me see if I can give you some value, you know, (laughs) give you value. The unlimited source of value is right around you. So, um, niche market entrepreneurs, these folks made a nice living. They make good music. It's pleasant. This may not be my style, but what did I learn from it? It was worthy of my investment of time. Relaxing. Enjoyed the company of others. Had a nice dinner with the folks. 
connected. So isn't that what's really important in life is, is experiencing the gift we have of, of living and uh, it's, uh, for me right now, I'm enjoying the walking through the early cool temperatures and having more sunshine than we had the last couple of days. We, we, we weren't dark. We didn't go dark for three days, but yeah, the earth feels a little bit damp around me. I mean, there's this dampness, a coolness. The sun's warming us up. It's going to dry out the desert again. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm out walking. I, I, uh, my my wife. It's Saturday morning, and my wife's really more project oriented, or what do you call it? Like she she thinks up stuff that needs to be done. You know, like. We, we need to get some paint so that we can touch up some walls, you know. And uh, she probably has some other things on her mind that she wants to do. So walking the dog is like my, my break from having to think about doing chores or doing chores and stuff, you know, I don't, it's just not my thing, man, but I should appreciate that and her and, uh, be more compliant, I guess, not be so resistant. And, uh, try to take a little more spiritual view on things, which is not easy, is it? You know? And I think we're all, I'm I'm stubborn. I kind of look at some things as I process this. It's like, everybody's a little stubborn, or is it the biblical thing? Like, everybody does what's right in their own eyes, you know? And so how do we relate with people? And You know, they they say you want your tribe, you know, just take care of your, find your tribe, people that think like you do, I guess. But I'm also thinking about that story brand thing and about messaging and how the human wants to lower their brain uh, pop. We all want the easy button. We also want to, we don't want to think too much. But that's a distribution curve too because some people probably want to think less than others and others may want to think more above average and so there's seven billion people on the planet right so if only one percent of the people really want to use their brains a lot and they don't mind extending the brain power energy to think deeply that's still 70 million people so if you can connect with those 70 million people you know that's great there were probably 500 people that came to listen to Over the Rhine last night. 500 people spent 50 bucks each, probably. So what is that? 50 times 10 is 500. 50 times 100 is 5,000. What did I say? 50 times 10. Five hundred. So that means fifty times a hundred is five thousand. And if there was four hundred people there, that's twenty grand plus merch. But they don't get it all. They probably only get half of that. So then maybe they only got ten grand. Maybe they only got yeah, maybe they got ten grand for one night's work. You know. They're probably making a good living. And that's fine. Abundance, baby. They brought something of value to a niche market. And uh, it's music. 
So music is interesting. And as I thought about it, basically, I'm walking my dog here. And I was thinking, there's probably a song every time I walk the dog. I mean, whatever I talk about on this, uh, these walks, some artist could probably turn it into a song, right? Yeah. And uh, that's what musicians have been doing, artists. And if you have abundance mentality it's and, and growth mindset, I love, it's like art. And it's like, so are we all artists? And I'm building off the, the work concept that we're all a business of one. So even though there's a group of people that likes to call themselves entrepreneurs, and it can come across a bit snobby, right? You know, I'm an entrepreneur, man. <laughs> Aren't we fucking all, right? Because that's what we are. We're all entrepreneurs. So it's just, you can be an entrepreneur at a big corporation. Let's say, you know, your little tribe within the corporation. And the job search people would say, hey, man, you are a business of one, right? And I'm going towards, hey, and, and, and most people are like, well, I don't want to be an entrepreneur. I just want to do my job. Well, that's great. But remember, you got to articulate, communicate, like, what is your job? Why does it add value? Understand why you add value. And then you're still doing a job, but now you're able to articulate why you're doing the job and why they should pay you for your job. And when, if, as long as you understand that and don't have a sense of entitlement, like, well, I'm entitled to have this job forever. You know, I worked, I worked at this company at a steel mill for 10 years. Now they want to lay me off. So we forget that we first hired into the company to do something, to solve a problem. And they don't need to solve that problem in that way anymore. So they don't need you. That doesn't devalue you. It just means we have to think about how do we add value? How do we um, go back to the first day we hired in to our 10-year steel mill job and say, well, they hired me to do this and now they have a robot that does it and I'm not going to get pissed off at the robot because the robot didn't do anything to me. So I'm going to go figure out what I can do next. And we, unfortunately, many of us get lulled into the idea that uh, these companies owe us a job, a paycheck. Right. And really, that's kind of the general consensus in the world. And it's not a, it's not great. And maybe it's a maturity thing that we grow out of. And maybe I'm, you know, I'm probably still going through it myself. But I, the concept of a business of one, entrepreneur, it's they're connected. Is what I'm saying. I'm saying the the business of one concept. What are your skills and ability? How can you help somebody else, a company, make or save money, right? How can you help a company make or save money? So, I'm getting clearer on that. And it's about time. <laughs> and I look back and I'm like, well, when I was 35 or 40, I, you know, what if I had the concepts I have now back when I was 35? I'd probably do things differently, but I didn't have the knowledge or the experience or the wisdom or whatever you want to call it. And nobody's teaching that, really. Now we sort of have to teach it because that's the situation we're living through. And all of that was to build up to a concept that's new to me. I haven't heard it expressed before, but it's along the lines of a business of one. It's on the lines of entrepreneurship. 
it's like we are all artists. Yeah, artists. And I think that brings a lot of dignity to work. So you're, whatever you're doing, I think some people have said like I'm a, someone may joke, say I'm a uh, onion cutting artist at In-N-Out Burger. You know, they know how to, their job is to cut the onions at In-N-Out Burger. So they're an onion artist. And that sounds kind of funny, right? Chuckle, chuckle. But it's, it's if we frame it, and then this is the framework thing that way. Like, hey, dude, yeah, you're coming in for four hours. You got a shift. And you are in the role of onion cutting artist. And if you're doing the onion cutting artist, and if you're like me, you're like, well, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want to just stand here and cut onions and do that. I want to be at the cash register and talk to customers and say, would you like a double-double? Would you like raw onions or cooked onions? Yeah. That's my preferred artistic expression, to talk to people. (laughs) And there's a lot of us out there, so... Are we competing to be the talkers? Probably. But now I got a podcast. I can just talk. Shout out to Coach, who I don't know why in the hell she said, why don't you start a podcast? I don't know. I'm sure this was not her vision of of, uh, how this would all turn out. Could be. (laughs) Maybe this is exactly how she thought it would turn out. I kind of doubt it. You ask, there's a famous phrase called ask yourself a Dilbert question. And he, he calls it, Scott Adam calls that, uh, the Dilbert question is what's more likely. Okay. So it's, it's a framework again, another framework. So you have to, I guess the best way to deal with frameworks is just to understand that what we're looking at is a framework and then decide like, is that a manipulative framework or is it a useful framework? And even what I just said is a framework, right? (laughs) Morning. Whoa. So frameworks are... Like a, it's like a do loop. I just I just frameworked the framework. I just said there's two choices on frameworks: either they're manipulative or they're useful. But are those the only two frameworks? I don't know. There's probably a third one. But at the moment, I'm saying there's only two: manipulative and useful. And you're listening to me. And I just psycho-tricked you into thinking that I'm right or something. But if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I do zero preparation. I do zero. I don't prepare these messages. But ironically, they are prepared. They're prepared because it's based on my life of experiences, right? Not that my life is any better than anyone else's. It's just... The framework is we all speak from, talk from, have opinions based on our experiences. And they're not good or bad. They might be more agreeable to you or less agreeable. I don't know. I'm still developing. It's kind of fascinating as we talk about it. So what framework was I talking about? Damn it. (laughs) Shit. Now I got to remember what that framework was I was going for. Oh, what were we talking about? The framework of artists, maybe. Yeah, we're artists. Everyone's an artist. Just like if the first time you tell somebody like, well, I know your job is to uh, park cars at the casino. 
number one, that's not who the person is. They have much more dignity than that. But number two, they are, if they think of it as, frame it as a business of one, their interactions with every person they interact with is an opportunity to express their abilities in their business of one. It's probably like restaurant servers, probably there's at the end, if you have like six servers and consistently like one server at a restaurant is getting better tips, they're doing something different because statistically, if, if you take, let's do them, do some math problems again. I forgot what the other math problem we just did. Oh yeah, we did dollars revenue, the all important revenue, man. And, uh, and if you think back on it, this is kind of funny too. It's there's these concepts. There's a, there's a, there's a guy named Pat Flynn, probably awesome guy. Right. And he says, he's got his tagline is like work hard now. So later you don't have to. Right. And so we think that's all about podcasting and you got to have a podcast. Oh yeah. You got to do this business, but it's already been done. So look at over the Rhine for 30 years, they've, Toiled, struggled, written music, gotten better, and they have a following. And if you think about it, let's say they made five grand last night profit. Well, did they that that five grand they made last night is not from the two hours that they stood on stage and did something that they love to do, which is play music and sing. The work was done. The hard work was done the last 30 years. All their work, all their writing for 30 years built up to 5,000 bucks on November 22nd from a bunch of people that live in Phoenix that decided to drop 50 bucks to sit in a chair to listen to them for two hours sing. Now, did those two hours, are they... Was that like toiling in the factory? And did they, since there's three of them, and let's say they made 6,000 bucks, does that mean each person made 1,000 bucks an hour? I mean, you could you could say it that way. Like you say, okay, if they showed up, they got their guitars out, they got a piano, show starts at 7.30, they sit down, they start playing music, there's three of them. Two hours later, they're done. They collect their 6,000 bucks. They give, you know, each guy gets 2,000. They were there for two hours. They made 1,000 bucks an hour. But they probably really, if you add up all the hours and the toil and spread it out, uh, this might be 15 bucks an hour. All the hours they put in before that night right so they're kind of they've kind of been doing the pat flynn thing for 30 years they've been working consistently on the the buzzword is on on their craft on their craft well and so framework let's everybody's got a craft are you working on your craft what's my craft the thing is uh, for me is i don't I really haven't named my craft yet. <laughs> what, the hell, what the hell is my craft? But remember, this is the podcast about you. So you have to ask yourself the question, what's your craft? And it's okay to, I'm inspired by this, uh, these entrepreneurial people. Because you can change your craft. Like you can try something for a while. And if it doesn't result, you can plant some seeds and the crop, if it doesn't come up, then you move on and try some other crop. And I've noticed that about some people that they just started a whole new business, very different from the previous one. And then they'll, they'll see how that goes. And maybe that'll spawn something else. So maybe metaphorically, the one of the themes of this podcast is 
just get up and walk your dog. <laughs> and what, what I mean by that is, is get moving, right? Some people say, yeah, get moving, right? So I'm moving and I have to walk the dog and Bud's having a good time. I'm having a good time. I'm making this fun for me. Enjoy the journey. And if I can, you know, I'm not purposely trying to stretch this walk out an extra 10 minutes just to avoid 10 minutes of chores because the chores, whatever is in the mind of my wife or imagination, um, I'm probably going to have to do it. You know, like whether it's take the garbage out, vacuum. I'm, I think one of them is probably going to be vacuuming the kitchen. And I can vacuum the kitchen in less than 10 minutes, right? But being a guy and being who I am, I'm just a pain in the ass. So I'm going to whine and bitch. I'm like a kid. I'm like a kid. And and that's okay, right? Be a kid. Like, don't don't take a superior attitude as you listen to this. Like, oh, yeah, well, I'm listening to a guy doing a podcast. He's such a child. <laughs> He's such a child. Uh, and maybe I am. But is that a bad thing, right? So I'm just recognizing in myself personal growth self-awareness that uh, I'll bitch and whine about vacuuming the floor. And I'm like, I don't know why. Why do I do that? It's just a child thing. Kids do that. No, mom, I don't want to. Oh, mom, no, I don't want to clean up my room. No, mom, I don't want to brush my teeth. Takes two minutes. Get your kids an electric toothbrush, my friends electric toothbrush if you don't have one the benefit is you have upper front upper what is it behind your teeth lower front lower behind four areas you can move the brush on and the the electric toothbrush has a built-in timing mechanism so you get 30 seconds in each of the four areas that's two minutes of brushing your teeth. And in the philosophy of the brain doesn't want to think too much, the toothbrush will guide you into brushing all four areas a sufficient amount because it just vibrates every 30 seconds and says, time to move on. And so far, they haven't had an electric toothbrush to help me do my podcast because it would be time to move on. And uh, you guys are you guys are vibrating like time to move on, but I don't get it. I don't get the vibration. So we'll stick with whatever it is, and you're going to have to suffer through another 15, 10, 15 minutes of this podcast of... What is this we're doing? What am I doing? I'm walking my dog. Walking my dog. <laughs> and I'm expending my verbal energies that I'm, that I'm overwhelmed with. And uh, I don't know if it's a, it sort of it lets me get out my thoughts. Because I feel like, oh, I need to share these wonderful toothbrush analogies with people. No, I just, I just... Uh, I had this theory that when I hit my head, that I was going to, I was in the really close to death, right? Because I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's closer than I am now. I mean, if you hit your head, you ride your bike and you smack your head on the tarmac, it's not a good thing. It doesn't drive you closer to health. So I was unconscious for three days and I, I'm just having a sneaky suspicion that my brain went into some kind of default mode of like, dude, you got to keep thinking or you're going to die. <laughs> if you stop using your brain cells, you're going to be in deep trouble. So I don't know what happened there. I can't claim by evidence, but I do notice in my 
growing self-awareness that I don't have a problem like using my brain and kind of burning calories and stuff. And a positive example yesterday, it's another personal growth for me was I'm doing some networking and I met with a guy yesterday. We've met probably every couple of weeks irregularly. And I decided, you know, he's listened to me. He's a good listener. But you know what I need to do this time? I need to focus in on him and listen to what he's got going on and see if I can help him in some way. Because my default, if you haven't noticed, is I can just, I don't know. It's not to me. I don't consider it taking over the conversation. But it's, it's, it's probably my upbringing, too, in my family where, Everybody was real verbose at the kitchen table, dinner table, Thanksgiving table. And I learned at a young age, like, if you want to express yourself, you just got to jump in there and start talking. That's what you got to do, man. But let's go this way. So that's, that's how I grew up. It's like, oh, do I have a thought? Well, no one's going to ask me what I think, so I'm going to tell them. <laughs> so, so that's why, that's another impact about why I just walk the dog and talk. And technology, right? What the hell? I mean, am I, is this a good thing? Or is it a non-judgmental zone? If there was an Anchor FM, AirPods, uh, and an iPhone, I'd never be able to do this. And and what am I doing? I'm doing nothing. I'm just walking my dog and talking to myself. But am I talking to you too? Because I'm like, um, I'm expressing thoughts that you probably have anyway. But you, you know, but no one's talking about it because nobody had Anchor FM a couple years ago. Nobody had iPhones. People had dogs for thousands of years. People walked their dogs probably thousands of years, but not with an iPhone in their pocket and AirPods in their ears. And I really don't get feedback from anybody, but I, I don't know. Do I? I don't think I really need it. <laughs> and, and, and so I just keep doing it. And it's probably becoming addictive to me. Is it, is it hurting me? I, I don't know. I think, I don't know what it is. Your opinion, if you think I'm a nut job or whatever, is that really going to hurt me? Yeah. Or does this resonate with anybody? So I think I'm going through the curve, you know, growing, thinking about how to grow and get better. And as you listen to this, um, you know, the so what part of this is frameworking. It's notice the frameworks that are shoved in your face and, and, and challenge the frameworks that come up and just call it out as a framework. Oh, oh, uh, I hate to, I have to go political, but, you know, it's the, 81% of evangelicals voted for Trump. Oh, it doesn't matter whether you like Trump or dislike him. I'm just, let's just go with the framework, right? There's a framework that uh, evangelicals are important, you know? And it's supposed to like, oh, you know, you may self-identify as whatever this evangelical thing is. And it's a framework. And yet the framework's kind of odd because the, the, the messaging is, well, that's freaking awful. I mean, how Christian and evangelical is Trump? And wh- what's with the Republican Party? Man? And I'm not, I'm just using this as an example. I'm not trying to influence anyone's beliefs because you already have them. I don't, I'm not going to change anyone's mind. But it, what I want to point out is the framework. 
So I, I have a particular angst against this one Southern Baptist dude who brings that up quite frequently. And as morning, hey, how many more days before you head out? This this Wednesday, huh? Where you're gonna have a great time. When when do you come back? Twelfth of December, yeah. We'll have a great time, man. Not yet, not yet. I'm still optimistic, but I got sales thing is like you got to have a funnel, right? Sales funnel. So I got to have like eight jobs or more. You know, the more jobs I can have possible, something will come up. You know. So, what are you what are you gonna do with your dog? You got family you can let your dog go with? Yeah, I'm gonna take her. Uh, my son is going to girlfriend. I was just going uh, with her mom to Disneyland. I think for like this week, next weekend. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna take her to the kennel for about five days. Okay. And then they'll pick them up and she'll uh, stay with. Uh, I think they'll stay here with her. Well, that's great then. Yeah. Cause that's the, then you don't have to like have concerns about your dog while you're enjoying yourself, you know. Oh, does she? Okay. Yep, they love her there. Okay. So. Well, Wednesday, what are you? How are you flying? Are you leaving on British Airways to yeah. London? British Airways to London, and then uh, London to Vienna. Vienna, wow, that's. And we get there at night. We'll stay there three days. <clears throat> downtown, and then. Uh, the cruise starts in Vienna, so it's there for another two days, so it's five days total. Okay. So it'll be nice, and then uh, we'll do the cruise, ends in Nuremberg. We're there in Nuremberg for two days, and then we uh, take the train to Munich. Yeah, yeah. Cause it, it, you know, it's all pretty close. Uh, you know, the train stations and everything's there, all the places we're going in. The hotel is intentionally closer to the train station. In yeah, Munich. yeah. Fun. Well, you'll love it. So back on the 12th. I've never been to Germany. I mean, I'm German. Yeah, yeah. And I've never been to Austria, Switzerland, or Germany. It's, you're going to love it. Else. You'll love it. You'll love it. Remember that schmuck, right? Schmuck and schmook, man. <laughs> well, all right. Well, have a great, great day. All right. All right, bud. Yeah, yeah, bud. Looks like I'm talking to my dog as I walk, talking to myself, but uh, that was a pleasant little uh, exchange. I'm really excited for that guy. He's, uh, he and his wife, they're going to go, as you heard, Vienna. And I, I held back. When, next time I, if I go to Vienna, I haven't really been there ever, but <laughs> next, next time I go to Vienna. Uh, what a world we live in, right? We're all kings and queens. We just don't realize it. King David never had nearly the luxuries that we do. And yet we bitch and whine about how bad shit is, you know. And uh, life is so unfair, man. So he's going to Vienna, and I, I held back one of my latest books is the, uh, I think it's called The Meaning of Life, or Man's Search for Meaning, from Viktor Frankl. And I don't know if I talked about the, my, what do they call that, a um, dark view of the world. But after reading that book, it's like he survived um, three years or so in the camps, a Jewish guy. And well, I've probably heard this about this guy before. And, and it's like, it's like there's a natural resistance, like, nah, I don't want to read that. Nah, I don't want to read that. That sounds terrible. You know, guy surviving Dachau, you know, like, well, what's he going to tell me? Is he going to tell me how bad these Germans are? And it's like, no, nah, the book's really surprising. He doesn't, he doesn't criticize, he doesn't get political. He just says, if you want to survive, man, you got to find meaning in life. 
And that's where I had that, the meaning of life changes every moment or can, right? So our, our limiting belief is like, oh, I've got to find this meaning to life that is like my why, my purpose. We have to find it, you know? And even the City Slickers movie, it reminds me, you got to find that one thing. So you watch the City Slicker movie, you had to laugh. It's funny. And you leave and you're like, well, what is my one thing? Well, it's hard to put a put anything on it. And it's also, it's up to you to decide. You decide what your one thing is. And I prefer, my preference is, that there is no one thing. That your meaning changes from time to time. So, uh, for example, I'm doing this incredibly deep and philosophical podcast. And what happens? I get interrupted because I see a guy walking his dog. And it's the same guy that I know is going to Germany and in Austria, Vienna. And so he's excited. He doesn't know I'm doing a podcast. He doesn't, he's like, he just thinks I'm walking my dog, which I pretty much am. But I stop. My meaning in life switch from giving you incredible amounts of wisdom and knowledge. <laughs> And sarcasm. I don't know which one. Wisdom, knowledge, and sarcasm. It might be 30% sarcasm or 70% sarcasm. I don't know what it is, but there's some wisdom and knowledge in there. So, um, and even that was a framework, right? So if I frame my podcast as wisdom, knowledge, and sarcasm, but there's more to it than that. Don't limit. That's just a framework, man. And I'm not going to constrain myself to a framework, just like I'm not going to constrain myself to one thing. You know, and it's, it's, it's an effective message, right? Like, I think there's a book called The One Thing, some real estate agent dude. I think it's Keller Williams Real Estate. And you can read that book, and it's like, oh, yeah, the one thing, you know? And so then you can, especially if you're in real estate, you're like, oh, I get it. I resonate with this guy. And it's probably a pretty good book. But again, it, it sets up the failure mode of, hey, people, if you're unhappy or having struggles, um, you know, it's you haven't found your one thing yet. And so it sw- switches the focus to internalizing and being in your head. And trying to figure out, I got to find my one thing. But Viktor Frankl, the guy who's faced death 365 for three years, can you imagine facing, being on the edge of being sent to your death for a thousand days in a row? 24-7? I mean, it's just, that's just, I, and I can't believe it. I mean, and, and, and so you, I highly recommend reading The Meaning of Life, and many people have. And depending on your stage in life, like Carrie Phipps, my friend, and Debo, Debo, my friend, <laughs> we're lifelong friends now because we we shared Pentecost together in Dresden in the Frauenkirche. So, yeah, she's like, oh, yeah, I need to reread that book. It's not that long either. And it's a psychiatrist who spent, survived all this stuff. And he talks about, well, he didn't do anything magical to survive. There's no one thing that, that, that said that he would survive. Even at the end, he says only one out of 28 people survive, which is actually quite a bit. If you think of, I did the math one time. I think it's, it's like 6 million people didn't survive, but one out of 28 did. So that turns out to be, I think, over 100,000 people. So Victor is one of them. And his response was to write a book about it. And we are so grateful and benefit from it 
because he did. In fact, I want to reread it again myself. I just read it like a month ago. And the reason is, I don't, he didn't virtue signal at all. There was an, and virtue signal I've mentioned before is a 2015 phrase. So he, Victor Frankl was not virtue signaling like, oh, we got to change the world and blah, blah, blah. It was like, when you're faced with instant death 24 seven for a thousand days in a row, uh, I think it gives you a perspective on life that is obviously we don't want to experience that, right? No one of us, none of us want to experience it. And that's probably why we're afraid to read a book like that because we're thinking like, oh, I am not want to read that book. It's, that is something I do not want to think about. And it's really not that pleasant, but he doesn't, it's like, let me just encourage you that the book is not a diatribe against what happened. And it isn't even a survival guide of how to get through the worst possible situation ever in your life. And I swear that that little summary at this one, two sentences in the whole book, and this is becoming less surprising to me that, you know, you can buy a book, read a book, and there might be something that just jumps out at you and has a lasting influence. And this is the meaning of life isn't fixed. And I just, I just demonstrated that when I, my meaning became show interest in the guy going to Vienna, be happy for him, have an abundant mindset of like, I'm glad for this guy to go to, uh, Vienna and Nuremberg and the Weinox Mark in Nuremberg. He's going to have a blast. And not just that, and his blast, how much fun he has, is somewhat determined about how open he is to thinking differently. And that's what travel and history comes in. Because it's not, there's nothing magical about Vienna, Nuremberg in 2019, but it's the history, the time, the events, the people that have lived there and developed a local culture and bringing it back to Over the Rhine even. Over the Rhine, the musical group, they kind of created a following and it's not huge and it doesn't have to be for everyone. So I'm learning more and more about the niche thing. See, a lot of entrepreneurs say, you just need a niche, niche, niche. You know, you're not writing a book to everybody. You're writing a message that may resonate with um, 5,000 people, 10,000 people, whatever it is. And so I'm walking by some some guys doing some uh, lawn, what do they call it, landscaping, maintenance, trimming some bushes. So there's some uh, power tools that are being used, which makes a lot of background noise. But that's what makes this podcast so authentic, right? This is authenticity. So you can walk in the spirit, walk with God all day long. It's a mindset shift. I don't know. I'm I'm not sure it's a framework. (laughs) If it's only a framework, then it's not really, uh, it's not really the, the deep, uh, universal truth right so walking in the spirit so i'm a few minutes away from home and then my my meaning in life is going to change to vacuuming the kitchen getting the vacuum out which in my head has always been a resistance it's like And I think it comes from my mother's manipulation as a child. 
and how I just resist manipulation. Because my mother would get the violins out and say things like, well, your father's out there shoveling the snow. He really shouldn't be doing that. (laughs) I just hated that as a child, I just hated the communication. It's like I finally, maybe when I was like 14 or 15, I finally realized what was going on. And I said, Mom, do you want me to go shovel the snow for Dad? Oh, well, yeah, that's kind of what I've been saying. <laughs> and it's like, no, that's not what you've been saying. You've been, you've been uh, manipulating me to try to guilt trip me into go doing to go shovel the snow. When in reality, if you just said, hey, son, uh, I'd like you to go out and shovel the snow, please. And then I'd be like, oh, okay. That's some direct communication. And uh, I can live with that. I don't know know if I can live with it, but that's new. Because as a child, if you grow up with like people default into their communication methods. And my mother's default communication method was guilt tripping or manipulating. Oh, your father's out there uh, shoveling the snow. Or, oh, I just wish somebody would, I wish somebody would do this and that. (laughs) And as a child, you're helpless. You just don't even know what's going on around you. Right? I mean, and it's not my mom's fault or anything. It's just, this is the human condition. And as a child, unfortunately, as a child, you grow up with whatever you got. And it's not that my mom's evil. It's just that she's different. And for whatever reason, she felt like she couldn't use direct communication. So I guess I'm hypersensitive to indirect communication. It's like, you know, that's why virtue signaling, I love that 2015 term. Virtue signaling is basically emotional manipulation to try to get you to do something or change your opinion about something or to join others into their crusade, into their mission. And that's why the church is almost like the perfect clarity of it, because they have this Bible. I'll accept it. Inerrant word of God. Inspired by God. Okay, let's go with it. But it doesn't mean you can manipulate it to your message. And in fact, the, the, my takeaway is, the, the Great Commission was done by Paul for years before Matthew even penned the words in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. So now, of course, it's convenient to ignore history and to ignore uh, that, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Paul was actually doing the Great Commission. And he didn't even have the book of Matthew. He had no Gospels at all. Zero, and yet those are the first four books of the New Testament. So my reordering of the scriptures would be, let's let's drop it down in as close as we can to chronological order and then consider it, right? So even just the ordering of the New Testament is a subtle manipulation because um, the Gospels themselves are fraught with opportunities to manipulate people. And I'm sorry, but that's pretty much the state of the church. And the church kind of complains about how people don't go anymore. But I think the knowledge levels have gone up so much that people recognize that they're being virtue signaled or manipulated or told that the Great Commission is everything and the Great Commission and then... And it's the great relationship, God. What I mean, why did Paul do the Great Commission without having been uh, shamed into doing it? He did it because there's a Holy Spirit 
Yeah, he did it because there's a Holy Spirit. And that's how the segment before this abruptly ended. I was already home. I was almost finished. And, of course, I don't time this stuff. It's subconsciously I filled a full hour walk. But not because I'm trying to avoid chores. Or so I lie to myself. So I'm back home. I just want to wrap this up. This up because I think I was saying something significant about about your life, my life, our lives. Let's walk in the Spirit of God. It's a mystery. But let's not try to tell other people what they need to do. Let's not observe people and say, hey man, some of you are doing Jack for Jesus. No, that's not a good thing. And it really needs to be stomped out on its head. And that's just a, an example of of other people doing the same thing. There's a lot of people saying that you are doing back for Jesus. They're just not using that exact language. They're saying, look at this sex trafficking in Himalayas. Something needs to change. That's, an, that's like a popular book right now. And the truth is, no, something doesn't need to change because something is not going to change. That's, that's the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is we're stuck in a sinful world. It's the, there's evil going to be done. And we, we cannot possibly, it's like entropy. We cannot put it back in the box. And so the solution is to change yourself. Bud, what are you doing? Just change ourselves. Transform ourselves. And love others. And help them along the journey. But don't virtue sleep with them and tell them what they need to do. So that's my appendum to this podcast. I got to go do some vacuuming, right? Grace, peace, and mercy. May your vacuuming only take... 10 minutes. Bye.